Welcome back to Mind Matters News. Uh, this is Mike Egner. I have the pleasure and privilege of uh, having as my guest Arjuna Gallagher. Uh, Mr. Gallagher is a Hindu. He's from New Zealand, uh, and he is the creator of Theology Unleashed uh, YouTube channel, which is a wonderful YouTube channel. I encourage every everyone to go to it. There's great discussions there. Uh, and also, uh, he um, put together a, a fantastic documentary called The Persecuted Saints You've Never Heard Of, uh, and please also watch that docu- that documentary. Uh, I started watching it, and I couldn't stop watching it. It's a great documentary. Uh, welcome back, Arjuna. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so we, we've we've talked about a lot of stuff about theology and and metaphysics uh, and ethics uh, and science, and I uh, just wanted to get into some sort of cultural contemporary issues. What's your feeling about cancel culture uh, that's going on now in uh, the Western world? Uh, so I think cancel culture is is a bit of a worry. I mean, this idea that we should punish somebody for something they put on Twitter 10 years ago is, is really childish. Uh, also, like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Haidt, who's, who's, who did, um, I think it was his co-author went through a de- period of depression and then studied cognitive behavioral therapy to get out of it. And then, you know, I went back to working as a professor and they came to realize that the, the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy that teach you how to be resilient and happy uh, and successful they're totally contradicted by this woke culture that like it's it's if you were to understand cognitive behavioral therapy and want to make people unhappy unresilient and unsuccessful then wokeism is basically the the philosophy you you teach people we could get into that more or we could just point people to uh coddling the american mind by jonathan Haidt. yeah i mean the the wokeism um uh, there's so much bad in it, and uh, a, a major part of the bad is that there's no way in wokeism that anybody gets any happier or any better. It just leads to more to more anger and more fighting and more losing, and it's it's just a terrible way to terrible way to run a culture. I think what's happened with a lot of these social justice movements is they were fighting genuine problems, and they won those battles. And after winning those battles, they then had to continue to justify their own existence. So yeah, sure. they were no longer fighting genuine bat- battles. They were just, you know, just justifying their own existence and actually creating problems. Yeah, I I totally agree. I I I think the social justice, the whole social justice thing, really is a is a is a is a branch of Marxism. I, I think of Marxism as sort of distilled evil. It's uh, it's it's what you get when you bring everything evil into in, into one place at one time. Uh, how do you feel about uh, a lot of uh, questions of social ethics nowadays? For uh, for example, abortion, euthanasia, a lot a lot of the life issues. Are there viewpoints in Hinduism that reflect on that, or do you uh, do you have, do you have personal viewpoints on that? Yeah, I don't know if I can speak for Hinduism broadly. As as I said earlier, H- Hinduism is like a category. It's like saying the Abrahamic traditions. So, you know, we, we wouldn't ask what do Native American religions or what do uh, Ab- Abrahamic religions say on this particular social issue. Even within Harry Krishna's, you're going to get a diversity of views. But the general view you would get on abortion, say, uh, is that abortion is, is is murder and it's not okay. There's one Harry Krishna thinker uh, known as Dr. Howard Resnick, who I've had on my channel a few times. I've listened to him give a talk on it. And I, I quite like his views, which is that in some extreme cases, abortion would be a right where either due to the mental health of the mother or due to medical reasons, the abortion could be necessary. 
so it's not that we should ban all abortion. But the other thing is you could also ask a question of, there's actually um, Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, she's got a Harry Krishna background. and Oh, she does? Really? Okay. Quite. Her view is actually a little bit uh, anachronistic from the Harry Krishna tradition, but she gives a good argument for it. And I think it's justified, which is, if uh, if the government can tell you today that you can't have an abortion, then tomorrow it will be able to tell you that you can't, you must have an abortion. And this is not the kind of power we want to give to government. So just because we think something is wrong uh, and shouldn't be done doesn't necessarily mean that the government should go around policing it. That's that's true, but and that that's kind of that gets to the personally opposed uh, argument in abortion that uh, Mario Cuomo, the f- former governor of New York of uh, New York, said years ago that uh, he was personally opposed to abortion, but he didn't believe that it should be legislated. the The problem I have with that is that I I could certainly see the personally opposed viewpoint, for example, in flavors of ice cream. That is that I'm I'm personally opposed to strawberry ice cream because I don't like it, but I don't think there should be any laws regarding whether you can have strawberry ice cream or not. But abortion is a fundamentally different thing. Uh, to be personally opposed to abortion but feel that it should be legal is like being personally opposed to rape but thinking that it should be legal. That is that there's something intrinsic ab- about abortion that's not just a matter of personal preference. You know, there's there's another life involved. So if if abortion is wrong, it's wrong for everyone. Or if it's not wrong, it's not wrong for anyone. Yeah, I, I would go to consequentialism here, which would be to ask the question of, if we do have abortion laws, are, are people in general better off? And if we don't have abortion laws, are people worse off? And there might be a certain uh, happy balance somewhere, or maybe maybe it's never a happy balance, but there might be somewhere in the middle where it's sort of better. Like in New Zealand recently, they brought in really liberal abortion laws, which are like basically up until like two weeks before the baby's born or something disgusting, you can do an abortion. I don't know exactly where they drew the, draw the line, but you know, it, a lot of countries will have it up to like 26 days or, or a certain number of days from conception, although they worked it out when, when conception was roughly based on the size when they do the scan. And that's obviously less sinful. You know, if you've got basically like a, a near fully formed baby and you're killing that, that's obviously worse. And, um, but it could be the case that having blanket no abortion laws actually means that a lot of women go and get dodgy abortions from dodgy clinics, and that might be worse than just having somewhat moderate abortion laws. Sure. I, I speak on the abortion issues at my medical school, and it's, it's a rather controversial issue, as, as you can imagine. What I've, I've come to believe is that the um, pro-abortion viewpoint depends critically on what I really feel are misrepresentations of uh, the scientific and, 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 and social facts about abortions. So what I try to do with the medical students is move away from the ethics a little bit and just just talk about the science and the sociology. Uh, for example, I think the, a, a powerful scientific argument can be, can be made that science or that life begins at conception, that saying that, a, that an embryo is, is not a new human life just doesn't make any scientific sense. So life begins when the sperm and when, when the sperm and the, and the egg meet, and there's no history or there's there's no question that historically, uh, abortion at least in in the United States uh, discriminates racially. Uh, a, a black child is three times as likely to be aborted as a white child. Around the world, uh, girls uh, are aborted at a much higher rate than boys are. Uh, there's actually been a femicide in Asia of about 100 million girls over over the, over the past 50 years, um, and disabled children are s- selectively aborted. 
That that might be turning though with the increase of woke culture and men getting discriminated against. Um, Maybe it'll flip the other way. Uh, it could, but I. Um... I, um, there, you know, it's I, maybe, maybe, but, um, uh, so what I try to do in discussing abortion is, is just ask that we stick to the facts. And when, when the facts are laid out there, it's an awfully hard thing to defend. Uh, you know, defending abortion basically presupposes that you don't really understand it, I think. Uh, so because if you really understand it, most people would say it's terrible. I think being honest about these things would really help. Like, like some abortion clinics that, or you know, places that women go when they're pregnant and they don't know what to do, they show them the ultrasound and show them that they can see the form, and then they think, "Oh, I couldn't kill this." Sure. Uh, or you know, just explaining to them like that the facts about the women who have had, had abortions often this is the psychological effect it has on them, versus women who don't in your situation who haven't had abortions. This is what their lives have looked like, and just give them the facts sure. so they can make up their mind, where, as opposed to being politically motivated and, mm -hmm. and saying, you know, we're going to hide all the downsides of abortion or hide all the downsides of not having abortion because of our political motivation, and we want to persuade them of a a predetermined viewpoint. Um, how how do you feel about euthanasia? And is there any um, any sense in Hinduism that that uh, any Hindu perspective on on euthanasia? So euthanasia is is rejected. Uh, it's even rejected for animals. Like uh, we have a couple cows on our property. Uh, we've got ten acres here, and so, uh, it's, it's a, cow protection is a big thing for Hindu culture, and particularly for Vaishnavas. And you don't kill the cow even when it gets old. Whereas in you know the West, when the cow gets to a certain age, you just kill it because it's 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 frail, it's old. And so if you have an old cow up by the the road and people see it, they they don't see old cows. They'll think that this is animal abuse. Uh, but they wouldn't think that about your grandma. They wouldn't think, oh, you're keeping this lady still alive. She's so so old and fragile. This is grandma abuse. Mm -hmm. it, it, that it's just this disconnect on how we look at animals from how we look at people. But uh, yet the understanding of why not to kill them or why not to commit euthanasia is that we have a certain amount of karma that we need to live out. And if we don't live it out in this life, we'll have to take birth again in a similar body so we can fully live out the karma. So, you know, if someone's suffering from a horrible disease or mental disturbance, um, there's some reason why that's happening and there's some lesson they need to learn from that. However, there is uh, some scope for suicide, but it's only in a certain way and it's only if your body is based, you know, like someone... If you, uh, Hare Krishna and Mayapur had cancer a few years ago, and she was, but cancer was going to kill her. She had months to live, and she was suffering. So she fasted till death. So instead of suffering for a couple months and you know in bed with ridden with cancer, she fasted to death, and then it just only took a week. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a prescribed method that that Vaishnavas can fast till death. And even uh, at, at people, there's observations of cows doing something similar. That if cows really sick and going to die anyway, they'll, they'll go and sit in a cold river until they die. I think even in the, in the, in the Catholic tradition, um, that in, in, in the, in the terminal stages of life, if, uh, taking nourishment, um, is uncomfortable or painful and it only serves to prolong the process of dying, I think, uh, not taking nourishment is, is considered, uh, an acceptable thing, uh, as, as I understand Catholic ethics, uh, it's not acceptable in the Catholic ethic to do it, to try to die. That is with, with the intent of dying, but if it's to relieve suffering accompanied by receiving nourishment, 
uh, I think it's considered ethical. It's funny. Um, I just thought about it that we've we've gone from you know having a more balanced view that like well, at least in India animals are sacred. You don't just kill them, and uh, people are sacred, but you don't extend their life unnecessarily. But now we want to extend humans' lives as long as possible to the point of spending millions of dollars keeping them on life support. And the moment an animal shows the first signs of being sick, we kill it. Right, right. Uh, whereas <laughs> we've, we've taken our, our desire to prolong animals' lives and put all of that on humans. Uh, I watched a documentary a little while ago in which I th- the, the Harry Christian presenting the documentary, or maybe the documentary itself, was asking the question of, yeah, is all we're doing with a lot of these medical procedures just prolonging the process of dying or actually we actually helping people? Because you, you see some of the ways some of these cancers are treated and some of the cancer treatments are excruciating. Uh, and then in many cases, the person still dies. You know, So there's this idea in the Harry Christian tradition that death is inevitable. It's going to come sooner or later. Uh, so we should die gracefully. And actually the purpose of life is to die in a particular way. And, and the goal is to, the, the Sanskrit is Antat Narayana Smriti, to remember God at the time of death. Uh, and that gives us a good destination in the next life. So one way it's described is that only, only God-conscious people uh, can leave gracefully. Yeah, other people who aren't God-conscious, they'll tend to be very upset and angry and so on when the time comes for them to die. My understanding of, of Catholic medical ethics is that um, there are two kinds of treatments that patients receive, uh, ordinary and extraordinary. Uh, ordinary treatments would be uh, food and water and um, shelter and clothing and things like that and, uh, the, and hygiene. And extraordinary would be medications and ventilators and operations and things like that. And that in Catholic medical ethics, it's, it's acceptable to refuse uh, ex- extraordinary means of operations and medications and things um, if it only serves to, pro- to prolong the process of dying. Um, but it's not acceptable to refuse ordinary things such as nourishment and water and shelter and hygiene and so on. So basically you could, it's okay to take a patient off, off a ventilator uh, if they are uh, have no prospect of survival and it just prolongs their 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 suffering to be on the ventilator, but it wouldn't be be okay to starve them uh, or to dehydrate them uh, or to um, you know leave them in their waste or something. That ordinary care is something that every human being uh, has a right to, and it, it is suicide to refuse ordinary care. Um, however, uh, to refuse ex- extraordinary means uh, is not suicide and can be and can be quite uh, quite ethical in in the appropriate circumstances. I, I would put some medical procedures and drugs in that category too, where the evidential basis for them is really strong and they have a high success rate. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. If, if it's just a matter of taking an antibiotic that doesn't have much side effects that would save your life, correct. Yeah, or or some surgeries, or you know, just something removes something and the problem goes away, and it's not going to come back. I'm sure you know of some of those. Been- but we 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 face this a lot in, in patients who who have, like, for example, metastatic disease. Uh, you know, if you're full of cancer, uh, you could have operations until you die. You know, you just take out every every metastasis, but that, that doesn't really serve any purpose. It doesn't help anyone. It doesn't make them better. It just it puts them through a lot of suffering in the last part of their life. There, there's a, a 
famous story in our tradition of a great king who he was cursed to die in seven days by a snake bite. Uh, and he was a very powerful king, and he he had some uh, mystical. You know, he could have overturned the curse. He had a deep connection with God, and so on. But he didn't. He just saw it as God's mercy that he knows exactly. Most people they have no idea when they're going to die, so we can't prepare our consciousness to think of God at the time. It could come at any moment. Uh, so therefore, we have to spend our whole lives trying to think of God. But he was really lucky that he knew the moment he was going to die. And instead of you know getting angry and thinking I'm going to. You know, remove all the snakes from the kingdom. I, I won't be killed by a snake. And instead of doing anything like that, he thought this, this is this is God's mercy on me uh, and I'm going to think of God. So he, he went to the bank of the Ganges and he heard from a great sage for seven days and seven nights uh, without stopping to sleep, uh, without stopping to eat or drink. I just heard nonstop while fasting uh, about God and asked questions and was coherent the whole time. So that's obviously like a kind of terminal lucidity thing of, of having some lucidity to bite the body falling apart from not eating and yeah this was his response so that 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 is an appropriate response in in some cases that that, that, that's an underlying attitude we should have that when the time comes this this is this is my time and it's meant for me to go well i uh i i started out as as an atheist or at least an agnostic uh and i I really didn't convert to christianity until, until about 20 years ago and um Part of the reason for my conversion was a friendship I, I, I had with a um, Lutheran pastor uh, at the hospital, uh, and he was uh, he pr- provided a lot of the counseling there for patients who were who were dying. And uh, one night uh, during 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 the atheist part of my life, I, w- I was in the intensive care unit in the the pediatric intensive care unit, and there was a six year old who was dying of a brain tumor that I was taking care of. And it was a pretty horrible death. I mean, the, the kid was, was just, the tumor was just destroying him. And, and um, it was like midnight, and this pastor and I were sitting in the nurse's station just talking about, about what this child and his family were going through. And I, I said to the pastor, I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to believe in God, but I can't, I can't understand why God would let something like this happen. I mean, this is a nice little kid. His family is lo- lovely people, and he's just going, going through hell. And... Uh, the pastor said, well, God never said that, that life wouldn't be without tragedy, that life wouldn't be without suffering. Um, he just said that when it happens, he'll, he'll be there with you, that that's when we're close to him is, is, uh, is when we suffer, because at least in Christianity, um, our, our, our understanding of God, who's Christ, um, suffered for all of us. So suffering is redemptive of, of sorts, despite its horror. Um, and that stuck with me. Just that changed. That actually changed my my understanding of suffering in a very profound way. I, I, I felt that when you when you suffer is when you're closest to God. That that changed the way I saw things. Right. Yeah. What, one thing that could be said is the real tragedy is that we're separate from God or experiencing separation from God. And the tragedies that happen in life are opportunities to remember God. And if they weren't there, we might just happily go about our lives and never take shelter of God. So right. that would be an even greater tragedy. Absolutely. When, when, when you look at the, just ordinary human lives, not even considering God, I don't think anybody can, can make a credible case that a person who lives much of their life without any adversity, who sort of gets everything they want, is a better person for it. That is, that while 
certainly suffering can break a person. Uh, my experience has been that some degree of suffering is necessary for uh, for maturation and for becoming a decent human being. Uh, you know, the offspring of incredibly wealthy parents uh, who gets everything he wants and uh, never has any kind of adversity doesn't usually turn out to be a pretty good human being. That that brings us brings up the question of microaggressions. That somebody did a microaggression against me, and I'm going to get really angry about that rather than use it to deepen my personality. Right, 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 right. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of um, arrogance and self-centeredness that is not, that's not really healthy. Well, it's turning the whole thing on its head. It's, it's the idea that things that don't kill us make us stronger. That's anti-fragility. So it's not just that, they don't, that we don't break, it's that we actually become stronger through adversity. Sure. And of course, there's a limit to that. You know, like when you're raising your kids, you, you let them do somewhat risky things, let them climb, climb trees or whatever, but you don't let them injure themselves. Right in a way that's going to hurt them, you know, affect them for life. Right. Profound stuff. Um, I thank you, Arjuna. Uh, my guest has been Arjuna Gallagher, uh, who is the creator of the um, YouTube channel uh, Theology Unleashed. He is uh, a Hindu, and this has been a fascinating discussion. Uh, and I thank you so much. And uh, please, everybody, be sure to go to his channel and to watch his documentary called The Persecuted Saints You've Never Heard Of. Thank you, Arjuna. This has been Mind Matters News. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.